The fourth commandment. Now, this is to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. Now, this is by far probably the most misunderstood commandment in the entire Bible. Because our natural thought is, you're not allowed to work on Saturday. But now it's not Sunday because Jesus Christ changed it, but he never did. Or you think, well, we don't have to do that anymore. Thank God, Jesus Christ. So Sunday is my day for football. Okay? Or we just think, well, I'm not going to do work. I can do whatever I want, right? Watch movies, sit in the garden, drink iced tea, watch football, get things done around the house because at least I'm not at my corporate work. Or we're so legalistic that like somebody like, like you actually see them like pick a f- weed and they're like, they're walking down the sidewalk and they're like, oh, weed. And you pick it and somebody's like, ah. And we know people like this. And we know that how many of us really take the Sabbath seriously? You go to church, you don't do anything, but then when you go home, it's what you want to do the rest of the day, right? And Saturday, when Saturday is definitely like playtime or get lots of things at the house done, depending on what Saturday is or who you are. We have seriously misunderstood the Sabbath. Now, I'm not going to give you like, here it is. Because ultimately, every scholar will agree, we really don't know how to explain the Sabbath. It seems to be so deep and so thorough that it, there is an uncomprehensibleness to it. But at the same time, we do have a pretty good idea of where to start and how to start thinking about it. And so this is what it says. Remember the Sabbath day to set it apart as holy. For six days you may labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to Yahweh your God. And on it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your cattle or the resident foreigner who is in your gates. For in six days Yahweh made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore Yahweh blessed the Sabbath day and set apart as holy. So the first thing he says is you are to remember the Sabbath day and then he says you're not allowed to you're allowed to work for six days and then you're not because God himself rested on the Sabbath. That's the three parts to this command. Okay? What you're supposed to do on the Sabbath, what you're allowed to do the rest of the week and what you can't do and then what God did. Now, first you must understand that the word Sabbath that comes from the Hebrew word means Shabbat. Shabbat means to cease or desist or rest. So it means to stop not doing anything, and to rest. Now, it should not be translated. Some translations translate, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. So they use the word, the, the by. And what it means is, the way that you remember the Sabbath is protecting that day and making it special and absolutely not doing any work on it. That's legalistic. That's wrong. That's not what God communicated, and that's, what not, that's not what Christ approved of. What it should be translated as is, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, or in order to keep it holy. Which means you don't protect that day, and therefore remember. You remember God, and that makes the day holy. You don't make this day a legalistic day of no working, which then allows you to remember God. Because I guarantee you, if you're legalistically trying to think of all the things you're not allowed to be doing, 
you're probably not going to be thinking of God that much. You're too worried about whether you're going to screw up or not. Or whether somebody else is screwing it up. What it means is you remember God, and that makes that day holy. Remember only God is holy. And the minute something gets attached to God, it becomes holy. You don't make the day holy through your efforts, and then now we can think about God. You think about God, and that makes the day holy. That's very important for you to understand. Because now you're not thinking about all the things that you can't do. You're thinking about God. And guess what? If you're saying, listen, if I truly say to my wife, I want to be with you tonight, let's go out and have fun. And tonight is going to be just about us. And if I'm really truly enjoying her, am I going to be thinking about all the things that we shouldn't be doing? All the stresses and stuff. No. But if I'm thinking about, oh, I can't do work on my studies, I can't wash dishes, I can't do this, because I can't do this, and I can't do this, because I've got to be with my wife on this day, am I really going to be thinking about her and enjoying her? No. What he's saying is start with your love for God, and then the, everything else will just become holy. So, let's take this further. Your effort is not to be put into protecting the day. Your effort is to be put into spending time with God. This would first be a blessing to Israel. Part of it is a practical no work. Because as in the ancient world, you work every single day. If you don't work every single day, crops, food doesn't happen and you die. Remember, you spend most of the day making meals, taking care of animals. It's a threat to survival. So the first thing is to do is like you get a day off and everybody be like, oh my gosh, this is amazing which is not amazing to us because most of us take two days off. But what he's saying is you get a day off. This is how I want to bless you. But it also means this. Taking a day off is dangerous when it means feeding animals, taking care of crops, feeding your children, cutting firewood, building fires, cooking meals. So what it means is there's a huge trust in God that everything will be okay. So the first thing is a blessing. The second thing is it's your way of saying if I stop, do I really trust God will take care of me? Like, if I don't collect enough food to survive me for two days in the wilderness, do I trust that that bread and that quail will be there the next day? That's what it really, truly is about. I'm not going to work, and I'm going to spend time with God, and I'll trust Him that everything else will get done. So that's the primary reason in this first section. Here's the thing. What does it mean to stop working? What is work? On a scientific level, work is anything in action or motion. Like, scientifically, this is work. Walking around. Lifting your hand up is work. I remember that because one of the science classes I enjoyed the most was physics class. And physics clearly defines that work is anything in motion. That's work. Well, that means like you've got to literally like what, paralyze yourself for that day and not move. The Jews defined this. The Jews said, okay, what is work? The Pharisees spent hours, days, decades thinking about what is work and what is not work. So they decided that if you walked a mile, because there's no way you can get to the tabernacle or anywhere of God and worship if you don't walk at least a mile, that's not work. But if you walk two miles, that's work and you violate the Sabbath. 
Seriously, one mile is okay, but two miles is not? Where, where is that at? If you tied a knot, you're okay, but if you tied two knots, oh my gosh, now you're going to hell on that one. The Jews, if you go to Israel, they actually have Shabbat elevators. And the elevator literally stops on every single floor. Don't make the mistake of go to Israel getting on the wrong elevator because it takes a long time to get up if you're on the top floor. It stops on every elevator because pushing the button is work and it's a violation of the Sabbath. <laughs> Meanwhile, you see all these Jews pulling these huge bags of luggage into the elevator. <laughs> and then they carry the luggages and stuff. And I would think that that is a lot harder than pushing a button. What is work? If you start really obsessing over what is work and what is not work, then you're not enjoying God. You're not resting. And this is what you must understand. You cannot focus on not working on that day because then you're not remembering God. You're too stressed about where am I at? So this is what it really truly is. It means to rest in God. It means to just enjoy him. It means that if you spend a lot of your day slaving it out physically just to survive and you're stressed, then you're going to take one day and say, I'm just going to rest in God. I'm going to think about him. I'm going to talk to him. I'm going to sacrifice for my sins and feel that amazing love and grace of God that my sins are atoned for. I'm going to relish in the fact that he saved me on the cross or from the exodus. And I'm just going to truly enjoy him. I'm going to spend my day with God. And if you do that, you rest. Because here's the thing. On the flip side, if you're abstaining from work, you're not really thinking about God and you're not really enjoying Him. But at the same time, it's not vacation. It's not just going home and sitting on the couch and watching television. Because a lot of you know that you still, in the back of your mind, are thinking about your to-do list. We live in a day and age where we're bothered by our to-do list. We're stressed and we're worried. We're worried about what's happening to our kids. We're stressed about work. We're, we've got this 50 million things we have to do and only so much time in our life. And a lot of you know that when you go on vacation or you know people go on vacation, they're still like talking to people at work and they're on the beach and they're still trying to do things. They're like, oh, vacation is so relaxing. No, it's not. You're sitting on the beach talking about a business deal the entire time. And you guys know you come to church and your family was disarray in the morning and come to church and you're stressed. And some of you know that you sat there during a sermon or a worship song and you haven't thought about one word the pastor or the song said because you're so stressed out about something in your life. And yet you didn't officially work, so therefore you honored the Sabbath. This is what rest means. For on six days God created the world and the seventh day he rested. And God did not rest on the seventh day. He was like, whoa, that was really hard creating the world. I need to really sit in my lawn chair and drink a lemonade. Or, oh my gosh, I can't do this, and I can't do this, and I can do this. If I look over here, or I put Adam over here, or I, that's work. Did God really need to work? Did he really need to rest? Your model is God. And what God did is he created a garden, he put Adam and Eve in it, and then on the seventh day he entered into the garden and he looked at his creation and said, this is good. There's nothing missing. The to-do list is complete. And I can truly enjoy it. I can truly be content. I can truly be satisfied. And I can enjoy Adam and Eve. 
That's rest. Rest is your ability to come to God and come into the Word of God and come into prayer, not because you have to, not because you're trying to not do something, but you truly pray and say, I want to encounter you today. And I'm going to just know you, spend time with you, and love you. And when you think about God, you're so overwhelmed by his love and his sovereignty and his capableness of doing anything that the stresses, the worries, the to-do list just begin to disappear. And there have been moments where I have truly just, my daughters have come to me and say, play with me, play with me. And all I can think is, no, I don't have time. I've got to get these things done. And there's times that I felt convicted and I said, no, I just need to put this down. And I join them and I play with them. In the back of my head, I'm thinking, okay, this is really fun and I'm loving this. But at the same time, like, holy crap, am I ever going to get this stuff done? And subconsciously, I'm just thinking about what I'm not doing right now and how the, the, the to-do list is violent. Saturday was meant to be things to get done. And now it's kind of getting erupted. But at the same time, I like my daughters and I'm enjoying them. And then eventually over time, I just stop forgetting about that. And when I allow myself to be there in the moment with them, I truly just forget about everything and I just enjoy them. But here's the thing. My daughters are not the divine God of the universe who can take care of everything too at the same time. And so if I can experience a sense of rest with my daughters when I truly just allow everything else to disappear, technically that's a form of escapism. But with the God of the universe, he comes and speaks to me and says, I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to make it all work. Just trust me. If you sacrifice your day and spend it with me, trust me. I will make sure that there's food on the table and the bills are paid the next day. And you truly are not escaping, like watching a movie because you just don't want to do what you're supposed to be doing. Or you're just so stressed out you want to kill your mind and be numbed by watching a movie. That's all great. There's nothing wrong with that. But that doesn't satisfy you. That doesn't fill you up. And what he's saying the rest is, you need a day where you come to me and you are with me to the point that you can say, I'm content. I'm satisfied. I know God. He knows me. I've experienced him in a way that I needed to, and everything will be okay. And if I don't get that job promotion, everything will be okay. If I don't get that A on the test, everything will be okay. If I don't make all the money that I think I should make so I can buy this thing to keep up with the Joneses, I'll be okay because I know God and I'm spending time with him. And if you can rest like that, then you have no fear of idolatry. This is your cure for idolatry. The ability to just rest and not think about your to-do list. And now here's the thing. So God comes, Jesus comes along and says, there's not one day that's more holy than any other day. Now you can have every rest because what was the rest? You can't get to the tabernacle every single day. So the Sunday, the Saturday was the day to get to the tabernacle. But guess what? You are the tabernacle now. And the Holy Spirit is in you, which means every single moment can be a rest. It means that when your child is like screaming and throwing a tantric, you don't know what to do. You can just say a prayer and you can truly just surrender to God and say, God, you have to become their father in me at this moment. 
and you can be filled with this sense of rest that everything will be okay and that maybe they won't get counseling the rest of their life because you're bad parenting. <laughs> that when you get into the job and you're stressed and your boss is just beating down on you and all this kind of stuff and you don't know how you're going to do, you can say a prayer right then and there and you can just stop at your desk and you can spend about five or ten minutes with God and you can just surrender to him and just say, I'm giving it to you. I want to encounter you for a few moments and truly have the rest that even if your boss hates you, even if you get fired, God will take care of you. And now every single moment should be a rest. You don't have to wait for a day. In fact, why would you wait for a day if every moment can be the rest now? And that's what he's saying, that you rest in Christ. Remain in me and I'll remain in you. And that's what it means to obey the Sabbath. Remember God. And you will make that minute, that hour, that job, that day holy. Now, here's the other thing, too. It means that you pray to God and you ask him, what does rest look like for me? You see, I had a friend that I lived with for a couple of years while I was in seminary. And he was an accountant with um, Chase, and, um, or J.P. Morgan, sorry. J.P. Morgan. For him, rest was coming home and working in the garden. Now, if I work in the garden, I hate working in the garden. It'd be miserable. I'd be thinking, this sucks. It's hot outside today. I hate digging in this dirt. And it wouldn't be stressful to me. But for him, he had a beautiful garden. And when he worked in the garden, he, spent, he thought about God. He talked to God. He meditated on his devotional that he had that morning. And he just, it was like he was in the garden of, with God. Adam and Eve working in the garden was their rest. For me, I have discovered that when I am building the girls, I build my girls three beds. And when I'm just mindlessly sanding the wood, I found that if I'm like, when I sit down on the couch, I tend to default to either watching a show, which is just escapism, or working on my Bible studies, which is not rest. I mean, I enjoy learning, but I hate writing. And, or reading a book, which is restful in a way, but not in a satisfying in my soul kind of way. But I found that when I go outside into the garage and I'm sanding the furniture, I can't do anything else. I'm not reading a book and that kind of stuff. And I find that my mind actually can connect to God more. When I sit down on the couch in a restful way, I don't connect to God. That's not my default. But when I'm mindlessly sanding or mindlessly painting their beds or mindlessly cutting like every single piece of leg to be the right thing. There are moments where I have to think and do the measurements and I'm stressing because I've got to try to figure it all out. But those are rare compared to those moments where you're just, and that becomes rest for me. And God reveals a lot of things to me. I go through a lot of worries and I go through a lot of stress and I ask God, what should I do with this? And it becomes very satisfying at the end. See, it doesn't mean you can't think about your to-do list or your stress. It means you're taking God through it. My, one of our principals, Buzz, mentions it this way. He said one day they got to New York and they got in a taxi cab. And the taxi cab guy was like, this is your first time in New York? And they're like, yeah. And he's like, I'll just give you a tour. And he took them all around New York and just showed them this is this and this is that and this is that. And all you might know this is about this building. And he said it dawned on him that night when he was praying. He said, because he used to feel guilty about like when he would pray and his mind would begin to wander around things. And he would get it back on track, and then it would wander again and get back track. And then he, the Holy Spirit clearly spoke to him and said, I'm your taxi driver, and I'm going to take you through your worries and your stress, 
and I'm going to say, this is why you're worrying, and this is how we're going to fix it. And that's okay to pray like that, as long as you're not just stressing over it, but you're saying, hey, God, become my tour guide through my worries and my to-do list, and I'm just going to listen to what you have to say about it. And let your mind wander, knowing that this is not for the purpose of stress, but this is the purpose for hearing God, what he has to say. That can be very restful. Because at the end of it, you're being constantly told, I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. And that's what he said to Moses. And that's what true Sabbath rest is. And I know it's way more than that. And I know we're going to experience an incredible way in heaven. But that's at least where we can begin. And if you could do that, now when you come in on Sunday morning, you really pay attention to the lyrics. You really pay attention to the sermon. You go home and you spend time talking to your family about what did you learn and talking about it. You think about it. You literally you go out into the garden. You do whatever you need to do, and you just allow yourself to meditate on God's Word. That's rest. And then it doesn't become legalistic because you're with God. And if somebody says, you're working in the garden, you say, that's your relationship with God, not mine. Does that make sense? Any questions, comments? This is how you love God. And that is a relationship. That's not a check, check, check. That's a relationship. And that's when these Ten Commandments become holy, when they come about love. So that brings us to the favorites of a lot of people. The fifth commandment is, honor your mother and father, that you may live long time in the land that Yahweh your God is giving you. Now one of the reasons you're going to live a long time because not honoring your mother and father requires stoning and you kind of die so that you don't live long. Okay? Now you have to realize that this isn't just like your kids being disrespectful. I mean, they, God is calling them to an act of respect. But kids don't get stoned for just saying like, I don't like you and you misunderstand me and run away. Or they just disobey you and don't want to take out the trash. The only thing that got you stoned was that high-handed sin of screw you, go to hell kind of a thing. It's literally called a high-handed sin because you're lifting your hand up against God or your parents. That's what got you stoned. Okay, now why are you supposed to honor your mother and father? First reason is this. They brought you into the world. Just like God is God and deserves your respect, they gave you life. And now I know some people are like, well, they didn't really like do a whole lot of it. God mostly did most of it. But the reality is they still brought you into the world. They are your authority figure. God has put them on earth as the image of his authority in your life to train you up. Okay? Second reason. They're the only ones that are going to really unconditionally love you no matter what. Now, I know there's examples or exceptions. We've read some parents do some pretty nasty things. But they are by far the exception. And the more righteous a nation is, the less exceptions there are to that. The reason there are exceptions to not having unconditional love from parents is because we've lost our love for God as a whole. But if a country is resting with God, then you're not going to have exceptions 
two parents who, I mean, there's just something in us. I mean, I know the minute, I mean, you hand me a, I think I mentioned this before, you hand me a baby, I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. And they're like, but it isn't so cute, whatever. But then when my kid came out, <laughs> even though she was gray looking and slimy and not really attractive, there was like this love that I was like, where the heck did this thing come from? And that's what God is saying. So here's the thing. If you can't respect and obey the thing that gave you life and loves you unconditionally, you're not going to respect and obey any authority. And those kind of people are selfish, narcissistic people who only live for themselves. And we can flip on the television and see what they do is they just ruin everybody else's life. And so what God is saying is if you can't learn to respect that tangible, physical, 24-7 investment in your life, then there's no way you're going to respect or obey a presidential figure or a teacher at school or anybody. And then those kind of people, all they do is they live for themselves and they destroy everybody else's life. And that's why they need to be killed. Because the death of one person who's going to murder the world is far less than them murdering the world. Did you know that who has the highest self-esteem in America? What people group? is consistently tested with the highest sense of self-esteem, entitlement. Criminals. The more hardened and the more violent the criminal, the higher their self-esteem is. Why? Why are they a hardened criminal? Because they think that they can take whatever they want. They think that they can end your life if they want to. It's all about them. It's all about them. Pablo Escobar dictators. They ruin everybody's life because all they care about is themselves. And they have no respect. They have no love for anybody. And so you can have a pretty good idea of what somebody's going to be like when they're an adult and the way that they're going to live with authority by the way that they treat their parents. And this is what God is saying. Not only is it about the fact that your parents love you so much and they deserve that respect, but it's mostly about the fact of the healthiness of the society. Now, we're not going to talk about this in this class because I don't really care about this conversation at this moment. This is a Bible study. And I'm not going to get into the politicalness of the death penalty and that kind of stuff, but what you do need to know is that God commanded the death penalty in the Noahic Covenant he commands the death penalty here in his law, and Christ commanded the death penalty and has never been overturned. Are there times that even God doesn't perform the death penalty when he should? Heck yes. When David raped and murdered, God forgave him. Does that mean that every single person should automatically be put on death row and executed? No. There's a place for repentance and rehabilitation and all that kind of stuff. But that doesn't mean that we just throw it completely out the window either. Now, I know we can get a big discussion of politics, and this conversation is over. I'll talk about this more when we actually get to death penalty laws next week. But you need to know that there is a time and a place for the death penalty. And the reality is one of them is a kid that says, screw you, 
and just is constantly disrespectful, disobedient, never, ever, ever obeys, never respects their parent in any kind of way. And because everything all throughout history will tell you, they will turn into someone who destroys massive amount of people's lives. And so God says, honor your mother and father. Because if you can't do that, you're not going to honor any authority that God has put in place. And you're not going to honor God himself, who you can't see. And you don't see him directly involved in your life. And all you're going to do is destroy everybody else's life. And that's not loving. And that's not beneficial to society. And I know that command seems harsh. But turn on the news. And look at all the dictators. Look at where we're going as a society. What do you say to... I have adult friends who have bad relationships with, with either parent, they narcissistic or some kind of personality disorder. They just weren't parents, essentially. Parent. And you know, they struggle mightily with this. How do I honor a mother or father who really didn't unconditionally love me or have that relationship? And that's... I would... And that's a great question, and I don't have like a answer. I think it's all case by case. I, I mean, the thing is, is when you take the Ten Commandments and make this the standard for everything, it, it turns you into legalism. The one thing, as I would say, is it's the same way that I can honor and respect Trump if I don't agree with everything he's doing. It's the same way that I can go to the neighbor who is just a total idiot or a total jerk to me all the time, and I'm called to still respect him and to still honor. It means that even though they didn't do the parenting that they should, it means that I still talk to them in a loving, polite way. It means that I still value their life. It still means that I'm going to bend over backwards to help them. And, 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 and we're not good at this. None of us are good at this completely. But it means that I'm going to at least do, I'm going to treat them as the image of God. I'm going to treat them with dignity. I'm going to treat them with respect. I'm going to still, I'm going to try to not let them push through my buttons. And, and all those things that we know we should do to be Christ-like. And so that would be my best answer on a general thing is, it doesn't mean that I have to obey them, especially as an adult. They cease to be my authority figure. Um, but it means I still try to treat them in the way that I would treat, I'm supposed to treat anybody. Especially I'm called to treat my enemies like that. So that's, that would be my answer to that. And then I would also say that if you have a kid that is disrespectful like that and that kind of stuff, um, that doesn't mean you immediately go out and stone them. <laughs> but we're looking at the heart, too. And so it's like with any sin. There's lots of sins I struggle with. There's lots of people that I struggle with respecting them. There's lots of people that I struggle with the tone of my voice when I talk to them. But the reality is, does it bother me? Do I, do I not like being that way? Am I praying about it? Am I trying it? Yes, I screw up 50 million times. But I still don't like being that way, and I'm still trying to do everything in my power through prayer or gritting my teeth and trying to hold it in or whatever it is to not be like that. So remember, when God's talking about all these commands, we automatically go to the behavior, but God is always looking at the heart. And so there are a lot of kids that can be very disrespectful, and you would feel like if you're watching them in the mall or the store, you're like, that kid should totally be stoned. Okay? <laughs> you have to also look at the fact that some of them might have parents. We have no idea what, is, what traumatic event has been done to them at a young age. Um, what's his name? Josh McDowell, I think it is, 
who tells the story of being on the bus and his father gets on the bus with two kids and they're just yelling and screaming and disrespecting everybody and all this kind of stuff and everybody's mad and annoyed and he basically, everybody looked at him and kind of silently dele- delegated as him, the person, to talk to the father and say, get your kids under control. And so he goes up to the father and says, your kids are disrespectful, they're mean, they're rebellious, they're just tripping people and hitting people and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And the father looked at him in this daze, kind of like he just came out of it. And he said, oh, I'm so sorry. My wife just died. Their mom just died. We just came from the funeral and none of us know how to process this. And so a lot of it is looking at what's in that kid's life. What kind of parents do they have that, oh, it's understandable they're responding this way. It doesn't mean we give them a card and give them a pass and say, well, it's okay that you sin now. But it means that we do have empathy and we do realize this is, may not be their heart, but wow, what would you have been like too if you had that kind of a parent or that kind of traumatic event or you were abused by somebody at school like that? And so it means that you take that into consideration. What God is mostly dealing with is that case where you've had great parents, you've had a great childhood, the Bible's been taught to you, everybody did Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 like they're supposed to, and that kids still like screw you. And that's mostly what he's looking at. So with all these, once again, if somebody is working in the Sabbath, we're called to understand their situation. If somebody looks like they're idolater, we look at their situation. The first thing that you say is you go up to them as a brother or sister in Christ and say, I love you, but this doesn't look like it's right. And so that's the other thing we must consider. Is all these, We're not good at that. We Traditionally in America, we've been very quick to say, oh, adulterer, murderer, whatever. And we haven't really come in and said, how can I restore you? And, and you see that with God too. I mean, Israel desi- deserves to die so many times. And yet God keeps coming in and saying, and that's, and that's the key too. There's a time where he comes down and he just smashes them in judgment. And there's other times that he's merciful. And you would say, God, you're not consistently just or merciful. So how can I take your Ten Commandments seriously? Because God is relational. And God looks at your life and he knows what you need. There are some kids that have been so abused and so punished and so judgmental and people with judgmental in their life that this rebellious, annoying heathen of a kid just needs somebody to love them and hug them and speak love into them and that changes everything and another spanking and another grounding doesn't work because they get that all the time for abusive parents and so at that point the law goes out the window and you step in and you love them and you hug them other people have been so spoiled and so entitled and they've had everything handed to them Sometimes they need a swift kick in the rear end and the law needs to be slammed on on them as hard as it possibly could. And most people are somewhere in between. And most people are everything, depending on what area of life it is. And so the primary thing, as we talked about last week, the law today for us is the Holy Spirit. And so the first thing I say is, Holy Spirit, how do I execute the Ten Commandments in my own life And how do I execute it in somebody else's life? Because you know them better than I do. And it starts with entering their life. Because Jesus comes to the woman who's caught in adultery, and he treats her differently 
Then he treated David, who has committed adultery, and other people. The guy who picks up sticks. David commits adultery and murder, and God says, I'll let you live. The guy who picks up sticks on a Saturday gets executed by God right on the spot. Why? Because God knows their situation. He knows their heart. And so that's the thing we need to look at today as well, is in that area. Because if we're called to be in the image of God, that means we are just and merciful too. But he's the only one who can know when to do that. Just like there are times where I know my kids just need to be punished. And other times I know they need a hug. And other times I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. Okay? And so that's what I ultimately say is, so now with this, you take this huge amount of guilt like, oh, crap, I am an evil person. How do I really know what this means? And you take that to God, and you spend time in prayer, and you say, God, show me where I'm getting this right and where I have become better than what I used to be. Show me where I need to improve. Allow me to feel the guilt like I need to to be motivated, but also allow me to feel your unconditional love like I'm supposed to. And allow me to surrender to you to become more like you. And not in a check-check behaviorist, and not like, oh, now I've got more ammo for other people in my life. But in how can we all, as a body of Christ, become more like these things. But if we just read this and feel guilty, or think that's not me, and we walk away then you just wasted your time here. Because I can teach you what I know, but I can't convict you and apply it and love you and accept you in the way that the Holy Spirit can. And there are applications I can give you, but I'm pathetic compared to him. Because only he knows your specific situations in your heart. And so don't look in the mirror and walk away and forget as James has to say.